think that there are just some people who are like born restless. <laughs> like, I mean, I was, and uh, I had, even though I didn't expect to really leave, I thought that I would be a landscaper and, you know, maybe like be a ski instructor, you know, like in the winters. Um, and so I think of my own, like, I've always experienced it as somewhat passive, like, and lucky that I sort of got out and ended up in a job in New York. And what was your, what was your, I mean, just in... Well, I, I mean, this is a bit of like an epic tale, but like... Uh, <laughs> we have three hours. <laughs> but, it, you know, I ended up, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> it all boils down to this, uh, this, uh, my friend had a chocolate lab puppy, and the first day, this is true, this is, I've never told this story, the first day of, uh, of the summer after I graduated from college, I had no plans, like, I, except to do what I had done every summer in high school and college, which was to work with my friends doing landscaping and gardening. So, this friend dropped me off at this place, um, to do some work, and was going into town to get us coffee and left the puppy with me. And um, right after the friend drove off, the puppy bolted into the woods, and, um, and I ran after the puppy. <laughs> and it was in a part of, the, of uh, Lakeville, Connecticut, that, that had riding trails between the properties. <laughs> so I was going, r- running for this puppy down the riding trail and ended up stumbling on this property and um, came up to the, the back porch of this very nice house and um, I apologized to the woman who I thought was the maid and I just said oh please you know don't tell the people who live here like oh and uh, and, sh- and then the minute I said that I sort of noticed some gold flashing from her her ears and she just sort of looked at me and I said I'm the gardener over at the Northrop's and and she said oh and 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 the puppy had come around to the front of the house we got the puppy and then she hired me and she said oh what kind of work do you do we need some stuff done here long story short is that their daughter had um, this was back when I was with women. Their daughter had um, just left New York. She was 29, I was 20, and um, and we um, started dating. And she, and you know I I was always reading, but I, but I, I wasn't like surrounded by bookish people at all. It wasn't something I discussed with other people. It was a very kind of it's just what I did. And um, but she was a great reader, so we would talk about books. And very, at various moments, she'd be like. You're gonna do it. You're not gonna stay here, are you? And uh, and she really pushed me into an internship at a small publishing company in the area, and then also uh, to apply to this um, postgraduate program at Harvard in publishing procedures called the Radcliffe Publishing Course. And um, and uh, she even got the application. And 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 so, but see that. That idea, that entitlement, that sense of like, well, this is what you do, came from her, not me. And so, but I was sort of nudged along by her kind of like, um, she was incredulous that like I would just like, you know, choose to be a thinking person living in a, a small town. But I just didn't really, I went to college and I went to college, but, but I also was kind of a party boy in college and I didn't surround myself with ambitious people. I mean, it was... It just really, you know, <laughs> and so, anyway, long story short is I ended up getting into this program and then being offered a job before it was over, and, I, and even when I took that job at a literary agency in New York, when I was, I mean, by that point I was 21, I, I thought, okay, so I'll be, I'll go to New York for a year or two, and I had reference point for that. There were people who I grew up with who had gone to New York for a year or two, and bartended or did whatever they did and like and then came back to our town and would sort of tell the stories of the year that they lived in New York and I 
thoroughly expected that that would be my thing too. Because when I got there, I just encountered people that I'd never encountered before, like really truly ambitious people who had already interned at newspapers and magazines and book publishing houses. And um, I didn't know the difference between New York Magazine and The New Yorker. And I worked for an agent who represented then and still does um, represent David Remnick. And, uh, and so I got a crash course in, and she specialized in journalists, so I got a crash course in sort of like what that world was like. And it was fascinating because she was passionate about it. And, um, and, and then I sort of stumbled into, you know, working with um, mostly fiction writers and some poets and and it just became clear early that it was what I was supposed to do. Like, I, it wasn't something that... It just became clear that this is the thing I'm, I'm good at and that I, and I love doing and doesn't feel like work, and it's a miracle I get paid to do it. And, and, and so 25 years later, I, I'm still doing it. <laughs> so that's how I got out of a small town. But in a way, like, I'm still shocked by it. <laughs> Truly, like, it sounds like... Just the business of, of, of writing, the spotting talent, and when you sit down to, to write yourself, um, how, how do you square that? Because you can become rather cynical about the actor because you think, I must sit down and I need a werewolf, I need a vampire, possibly. Yeah, I avoid um, that. How do, how do you pitch? Maybe you lose that sort of innocent love of, of literature. I can certainly see how it happens, and I've watched it happen with people. I haven't... I, I haven't lost that okay. innocence. I mean, I there's still, you know, I have two manuscripts up in my room right now that I'm dying to get to. And to me, it's like Christmas morning, you know, every time. Like, you know, you sort of... I, I, I start reading every manuscript that, I, that ends up in my lap with, like, some hope that it's going to be, you know, Catch-22 or The Catcher in the Rye or... You know, or or Bleak House, or like that. It's going to be something so great and and uh, and um, so exciting, and that I you know can be involved in and in guiding it into the world like that. I do still have that. Um, but how about when you sit down to, to write yourself? I, I just, I mean, in terms of writing, I take the advice I give writers, which is don't don't overthink it. And I mean, if it feels like you have to write it, then that's a good that's a good measure of like whether it should be. But if you feel like you should, or that'd be a good idea, and you know, I think if you start thinking about, I mean, I mean we're talking about the writing that I'm interested mm. in, you know, which is um, sort of not genre writing, not um, not overtly commercial writing, um, uh, and so I think if, if if you start thinking about it from the outside in, you're fucked. I mean, really, like, because then it's not coming from an authentic place. It's coming from, it's coming from a cynical place. I mean, I think that's sort of the definition of cynicism. It's like, it's like, if you're, if you're trying to kind of figure out a formula of like, what will appeal to publishers and then to a, a, a marketplace, um, then you may be able to write something that sells for a lot of money, but like, I'm not going to be, I, I can't imagine I'd be interested in it. Like, it's, but if you, but if you start with something that feels urgent and important, or if you have a series of questions that only writing a novel can answer for yourself or begin to answer, then then you know you're probably on the right track. I mean, whether or not you have the skills to, to sort of to build that thing is a totally separate problem, I think, in a way. But um, so was the writing of the book was it an urgent matter for you? Not at first, no. I mean, I, at first it was just this preoccupation with where I came from, and. Um, and, and I just kind of kept on 
taking swipes at it here and there. And um, and I was in the biz, you know, I was, I was, I was, you know, I was rebuilding my career at that time. I was writing those memoirs. I was, um, you know, I, there was a lot of life happening. Um, and so, uh, so the novel was something that just, you know, was kind of, it was, it was sort of this preoccupation that I would occasionally sort of go back to. And then, so that went on for like three years, and I would say four years ago, it, um, it, when the scheme of it sort of began to reveal itself, I'd written out a lot of voices, and I'd written a fair bit of the June sections. It, it, that's when it, it came into view, when the sort of, when some of the ideas started to feel, um, uh, you know, kind of as if they were hatching, and because and, uh, there were a thousand ideas, there was, a th- there was so much that was sort of going into it, and then suddenly there was a, an order to it, and that's where the urgency came in, and that's when I really, like, prioritized it and became obsessed with it. And, uh, and then in those sort of after four years, it was a, but in the beginning, I think it was the only way I could approach fiction was like really sort of um, gently and and sort of uh, almost through the back door uh, as I was working on other things. Okay. Um, if I had thought about it for too long in the beginning, I think I would have been too intimidated. And then so I just kind of did it without overthinking it. And then there was just a lot of material and um, which. Uh, sort of pointed me in a certain direction. Did those voices then serve a purpose? That there was almost it, it, it broke up that sense of perhaps the epic novel from a, the omniscient narrator that you could actually approach it through these little sort of character studies and start to kind of build the plot from the ground up. Yeah, I think a lot of the and the, and the characters. I mean, like June came into view through the through the accounts of other people for me okay. first, and um, and what happened. I wrote in the voices of other people before I actually sort of wrote it, you know, in, in the third-person sections. And um, so so the voices, I mean, so many of them didn't okay. make their way into the book, but were, you know, um, necessary. You know, they were like my, my counsel. <laughs> it's also fun. I mean, I okay. should say, like, writing some of these voices was fun for me. And, yeah. And, uh, and uh, so I, so like I wrote to amuse myself for a, a while too, as some of the blanks were being filled in. Okay. And I just didn't, I didn't hurry it, I didn't rush it, I didn't like try and like make it into like a a a a, 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 a book until, um, you know, a, a fair bit of time had passed. And so, for, you know, for a long time it was just it was I was just engaged in it. And I, I mean, I think in the best case scenario, like writing should for a while be like that there's that that sort of generative <clears throat> period before it becomes uh, carpentry okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a big thing that June says about her daughter Lolly uh, when she finds this letter which does feel like a nice, nice little 19th century moment she finds the letter that, that that in a way speaks to you from beyond Beyond the beyond the grave, and and she she talks she realizes that Lolly, it's possible that she was an artist that she's mm. um, making sense of the world through uh, drawings and then to some extent through this this letter was and it did seem to sort of be the novel speaking a little bit about itself. 
did, did, did writing and, and piecing together these these sort of fragments um, did it help make sense of the world and and your and your own world? I it didn't start out that way, but I, it absolutely did. I mean, in term, it, it it made it helped me. Uh, I, it helped me make peace. I think with the place that I'm from. I think you know, really, I had. I mean, to say that I had had uh, avoided the the subject or thought or memory of the of the place that I came from in my college years and in my twenties would be an understatement. I mean, I just I just sort of shut the door on it. It was I didn't want to look at it, and uh, there was just there was a, a lot of painful um, stuff. From, from that stretch of the road, and and so uh, you know, I chose instead to sort of drink and drug, uh, you know, uh, my way through some of that. And but so when I when I was beginning to take kind of a look backward at, at where I came from, um, and this bubbled up and this process began, um, uh, you know, I really, I, I could look at the place with, you know, um, affectionate eyes, you know, as well as clear eyes. I mean, they're, okay. and, uh, but I don't think it's any worse or better than any other place. I think, it, you know, it's just, it, it's special because I, I came from there, and I think that there are particularities to growing up in a small town. Um, but, um, but a lot of what happens is what happens in, in families and in, you know, communities that happen in cities and, um, you know, I'm sure, like within the Hasidic Jewish community in Brooklyn, there's you know rumors and legends and gossips and you know villains and you know just like the, just like what happens in life, you know. And um, this just happened to be the place that I'm from, and um, so and I so I do, and I've actually, I've, I, you know, not surprisingly, I've gone back to um, that town more. Mom, my brother happens to be living there now, and we also we buried my father there. Even though none of us have lived in that town for 25 years, but he wanted to be back there, and um, so that was that. It was sort of it was a nice way to. Um, uh, it was nice to have made peace with that place before um, kind of going through the process of of um, you know organizing his funeral and burial and and and, uh, and returning him to this town. So there was a way in which like I had already gone back. Um, before I had to in this case with him. Do you so. see art as, as, as helping in that process? Not just for you for, as, as the writer, but for, for, for readers. I was very taken by Lolly saying um, about her about her fiancé, Will, Will told me that it would be a good idea to question everything I thought I knew about Dad, you, your marriage, my childhood, myself, even. And there were moments in this novel where it, there were sentences that seemed to kind of leap out and sort of grab, grab, or at least it grabbed me mm. and made me want to uh, sit down quietly and yeah, and, and, and take on my preconceptions. The act of reading seemed to be encouraging you to constantly shift your perspectives, think outside yourself. I wonder if that if that was an intention. I know lots of writers say no, that wasn't my intent, but but there seemed to be a sort of desire to to, mm. to, to shake things up. Yeah, it's been so much my experience. I think you know, I was. I, you know, it's so much of what I believe to be true about people and places and ideas and situations from my 20s into my 30s and 40s, you know, has sort of collapsed miserably and, like, and, been, and been reassembled. And, and almost all of it, you know, for the better in the sense that, like, as I said before, you know, I was, a, I was such a fearful, I grew up in a, you know, 
kind of a scary house. It was um, unpredictable, and um, and so I was a fearful kid. I grew I grew into a fearful young adult, and um, and out of fear, you know, sort of projected a lot onto um, things that I didn't things and people I didn't know very much about. And uh, and to what bolster your sense of self? Uh... Well, I think you know, I think judgment is a form of control. You know what I mean? If I if I if I'm anxious about talking to you, and I sort of sum you up in this reductive way, somehow I've put you in a box, and I've like I've ma- I've, I've been able to put my fist around you in some way <laughs> that 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 steals me, or it, it gives me the illusion of, of of having control over our interactions. And and so I mean there was a there was an expression growing up that like I, I thought of later. I, I didn't I could never find a way to make it into the book, only because it's, it's such a it's such a spoken thing. Is uh, growing up, um, people who I grew up with. If there was, there were also celebrities who live in that town, and and some famous people from like the banking world, and and they would live in these impossible houses, and they were unknowable. I mean, they were really unknowable. So what what you would often hear somebody say is like, they would just say, it's sort of not. They say, you know, I seen her. Like I seen her up at the grocery store, mm-hmm. and you know, usually like doing something very mediocre, like you know, buying toilet paper, as if somehow. And it was just somehow just saying that, like I like I saw this person doing something that I do. <clears throat> it was a way of like bringing that person down to 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 their level. Um, and so, you know, in terms of getting back to what you were asking before, just you know, setting aside everything you think you know about a person, a place, or a thing, and you know, um, and trying to sort of have a different experience of, of, of those things. Um, that's been something in, like in my, you know, certainly the last 10 years that uh, I've just found to be incredibly useful because old some of them, so many of my old ideas have just, they only, because those kinds of preconceptions or judgments are, are way, also ways to sort of keep a distance. Um, and so if, if instead, you know, I kind of a, approach a situation with curiosity as opposed to judgment like there may be a chance for like some kind of connection and um and a bridging of that distance and you know which on an interpersonal level is is you know um you know a positive thing and then you know sort of you go out from that um and it you know that's the kind of thing that changes the world when people actually like begin to sort of see past those um expectations and judgments There's also a risk there, isn't there? I mean, you're putting yourself on the line. You could be let down. You could be hurt. You know, is, is that the is that the which is why the which is why it's difficult for a fearful person. Yeah. And so, you know, if you have a community that's fearful um, for a variety of reasons, like they're not going to be as inclined. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, certainly that's been a lot of the work that I've done in the last decade. Um, in my own just personal life yeah. is just to sort of set aside, you know, and, and recognizing when those situations arise, when I, like, I do kind of knee-jerk toward judgment or knee-jerk toward, um, you know, uh, expecting that I know more than I do about something and recognizing where fear plays into it and, um, and just trying to set that aside and just actually, like, deal with somebody um, or some situation or place, um, you know, just without that, with as, with as little kind of, you know, shaping it as possible, and just kind of taking people at face value. I don't know um, if you've, have you read that 
we've got it in our bathroom at the moment. Um, that book about anxiety, the age of anxiety, which I think was written by the editor of the Atlantic. Um, we seem to live in a world where anxiety and fear on one side, and then incredible anger on the other. And the two things seem to be the defining uh, emotions and feelings of, 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 of our life right now. That and one allows us to sort of block block the other one out. Yeah, and things um, are blowing up everywhere as a result. You know, Let's cut down any uncertainty and. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just that. I mean, there's, there's just there, you know, there are these rogue attacks in cities and airports and mosques and there's, you know, and um, you know, there, it's that like enough of that or a saturation of that kind of like fear and anxiety, I think, leads to Donald uh, Trump. Yeah. <laughs> no are comment. Are you excited by? <laughs> no comment. I, I can't. I just can't. I can't. But. Um, but I do, yeah. I so I, I think it's imperative, you know, on an interpersonal level and on a on a on a bigger scale to 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 try and chip away at that that fear and anxiety, as you say, um, as much as possible, and the judgments that come with it, and yeah. all the distance that that creates, you know. And so in the book, like you know, you know the, these people all come from incredibly. Uh, uh, um, they come from situations where there has been a lot of judgment and constriction and distance, and but but over the course of the book, I, my hope is that there's a, a tracing of of um, of of, a, of a, a progress for each of them toward connecting and, and 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 toward kind of setting aside some of those old ideas.